once you teach them to get in there, I say, get in there, like recruit the muscle, then you have to teach them how to like, like every rep is like wringing out a washcloth. You want to get the most out of it. And not all, unfortunately, not all trainers know how to teach these things or know how to get someone to do something called time under tension where your muscles like really recruited and engaged and you're going to kill that muscle. Um, so yes, so juice to change your body and your body composition with strength training, you need at least a couple times a week. I mean, once a week, you're going to get stronger and maybe feel better and twice is fine too. But then if you really want to change your physique, it's, you got to do three days. everyone. I'm your host, Dr. Sneha Ghazi, and welcome back to another episode on Fit as a Fiddle. I'm a physical therapist and owner of Sneha Physical Therapy in New York City. I'm also the founder and executive director of Physical Therapy International Service Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit that brings free health resources to underserved communities all over the world. I am obsessed with the idea that if you feel better inside and out, you live a better life. Each episode on Fit as a Fiddle brings you phenomenal guests in the health and wellness space who share inspiring tips and tangible advice. I'm glad you're joining this community of listeners who strive to keep their mind, body, and spirit healthy and thriving. All things health and wellness starts right here. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode on Fit as a Fiddle. Our guest today is Sarah Curry. She is a registered dietitian, personal trainer, and the co-owner of Physical Equilibrium, which is a gym and Pilates studio with locations in Midtown Manhattan and East Hampton. And this uh, is the first conversation um, virtually that Sarah and I are having. We've been talking um, kind of like through emails and other methods, but this is the first time we're going face-to-face. So just as the same treat that the audience is going to have and the listeners are going to have to hearing about your work, I'm going to get the same treat today. So thank you for joining the show, Sarah. You're no problem. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Yeah. So why don't we dive right into a little bit of your work and what brought you into the space first? Um, so we just like to learn about, you know, what made you want to become a registered dietitian? Was that path kind of windy or was it very straightforward? And how does that kind of manifest in the everyday work that you do now in physical equilibrium? Great. So I became a trainer in 2003. Um, I actually had a corporate job, various corporate jobs for maybe up to nine years, but was very unhappy in the office setting. All I wanted to do was start a running group with my coworkers or go use the corporate gym. Um, And so I decided, you know, I need to make a career change before it's too late, before I either get too high up in corporate or, you know, just, just before it got too late. So I be, I started training on the side. So like a side hustle. And, um, I was like, wow, this is really hard. It's hard to get clients. It's hard to get regular income. And I didn't, I never did the big gym chain thing. I just started privately with coworkers or my brother-in-law, you know, just anyone I could get my hands on. I'm like, do you want, let me train you. Let me practice on you. And then when I'm, um, I decided it was going to be very hard to be successful as a trainer. So I thought, you know, I better, I better have something to fall back on. Um, I already had my undergrad in business. So 
I decided to go back and get my master's in nutrition, become a registered dietitian. I figured I could always work in a hospital. I mean, there's so many things you can do as a dietitian. Um, luckily in, while I was in grad school, I needed money because New York is an expensive city. And I started working for Sarah Dimmick, my business partner. And I, again, I was, I was holding two jobs, working at the hospital, training clients on the side. And, um, I, we then decided, Hey, let's, let's grow the business. Let's, you know, leave, why don't you leave the hospital? Let's go into private practice. Um, so that's, that's kind of where, how I ended up here now. Got it. Love it. I think it's always very interesting to have that transition from like corporate life to being an entrepreneur and then slowly figuring things out and what makes the most sense for you. Um, so I love hearing that story. And I think that a lot of entrepreneurs can empathize with that, that, you know, it's a lot of work, but it's like very fulfilling and it's good work. And it makes you really feel like you're serving people in the way that you want to serve people. And, you know, not only sitting in front of a desk all day long. So yes, I love definitely. that. Okay. So I want to dive right into our conversation today because um, this is like one of those wonderful moments for listeners when my guest gives me our title ahead of time. So our title is strength training, the Holy grail of fat loss. And I just love that because usually we're just, you know, as I always, and, you know, talk to my guests beforehand, I just say it's a free flowing conversation. Don't worry about like structure, like the best shows are what you just talk about passionately. Um, and then afterwards I'll like try to figure out, okay, what do we talk about? And let's like piece this thing together in like a title that makes sense. But I love that we're just like starting off strong with the title of this show, which is again, strength training, the Holy grail of fat loss. So I would love Sarah for you to kind of just talk to us about where, what, what's the first thing that comes to your head when you think about that, what goes through your head when you're thinking about fat loss as a term in the first place? Well, first of all, there are the three main variable variables to fat loss are, you know, diet, cardio and strength training, which of, I try to figure out with somebody, which of the three can they best manipulate to hit their goals or to get to look the way they want to look. Um, everyone you're going to, if you Google it, if you talk to anybody, everybody says diet is, you know, 80 to 90%. You have to diet, 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 diet. Yes. But if you have muscle, once you start dieting or once you start doing cardio, it just, the fat just burns off of you. I mean, your strength training increases your metabolism, nothing else besides weightlifting increases muscle mass, therefore your metabolism. It's a constant battle for me to get people to lift weights, to explain to them how and why it's going to work. And everyone in America wants a quick fix. Mm -hmm. They want the latest diet. They want the latest workout gimmick. What is wrong with eating clean and lifting weights? <laughs> yeah, no, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm like hundred percent on board with this conversation. <laughs> and, but people say, Oh, I don't want to get too big. Uh, that's not going to happen. If, if you, unless you're genetically blessed and unless you spend years in the weight room, you're not going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And people think that the second they pick up a weight, that's going to happen. I can't tell you how many times I deal with this every day. I hear you. I have patients as well who are like on their own, like weight loss journeys. I can think of one specifically in my mind right now. And she literally goes from diet to diet, fat diet to fat diet, tries everything is very, very busy. So her running around is like her taking care of her kids and like doing everything that she needs to do. And then, 
doing her work work. And she's like, I'm very active. I run around. There's like a lot to do. And I'm on these diets and I just don't lose weight. I'm like, yep. <laughs> That's not going to work. <laughs> not at all. Doing the dishes is not equivalent to like burning fat the way it needs to be burnt or getting fit the way that you need to get fit. I love, I love being active. I love doing things and being like moving around. But at the end of the day, if you're like, I, I did the dishes, walked up and down the stairs and vacuumed the floors. Like, what do you, what do you say to people who do that to you? I say, those are your ADLs and and in activities of daily living, that's you're adapted to that. That's what you do. You have to intentionally exercise. Oh, but I walk a lot in the city. No, put your clothes on and go for an intentional walk where you don't stop and run errands. Sure. You can get 15,000 steps in a day easily in the city, but it's not really going to help your fat loss because you're, you're adapted. Yeah. So, so yes, we say strength train, but then that gets more complicated, you know, how many times a week, how many reps, how many sets? Oh, I, I was with a trainer for a while, or I took this class and nothing ever happened. Yes. Those are, those are all true. I had a woman who did a boot camp five days a week for something like a year and nothing happened. She didn't change her body. The weight, the scale didn't change. Um, in, in settings like that there, you're not being taught how to recruit and fire a muscle properly. You know, most people I get can't tap into their glutes or their transverse abs. And I'm sure that's what a lot you PTs <laughs> try to teach. <laughs> yep. um, but once you teach them to get in there, I say, get in there, like recruit the muscle, then you have to teach them how to like, like every rep is like wringing out a washcloth. You want to get the most out of it. And not all, unfortunately, not all trainers know how to teach these things or know how to get someone to do something called time under tension, where your muscles like really recruited and engaged and you're going to kill that muscle. Um, So yes. So to, to change your body and your body composition with strength training, you need at least a couple times a week. I mean, once a week, you're going to get stronger and maybe feel better and twice is fine too. But then if you really want to change your physique, it's, you got to do three days. And I have some people who live four days a week, um, when you're competing and that's a whole nother topic, you could maybe lift five days a week, but that's going to be, you know, legs, arms, back, chest, like you're going to split it up. Um, but five days is quite a bit for the average person. I know people who do five days a week too. It's, it is quite a bit, but they're just committed to it. And I'm like, this is, and it's like a lifestyle thing. I think yeah, that's and you, another whole thing, right? Like making it a part of you, who you are. Yes. Yes. And it's so much fun going into the weight room and feeling comfortable there. And uh, the other thing I teach people is how to navigate a weight room. Cause a lot of people feel intimidated going in there. And, but if you, if you get some confidence, learn how to do it and just go in there and do it, obviously it's easier. Obviously it's easier with a trainer. Um, but not everybody can afford regular training. And so, yeah, that's the other thing is learning how to navigate a weight room. Yeah. I do remember I will be one of those. I was one of those people who, um, so I was a dancer my whole life. And so that was like a big part of my exercise. I ran and then I did a lot of yoga and then this was like up until like I finished undergrad. And then when I started physical therapy school, I was like, Oh my God. I like, I stress fractured my back. I had absolutely no transverse abdominus engagement. Like nothing was like going the right way. I like thought in my brain, Oh my God, I'm so fit. 
I dance and I run and I stretch. And there was like no component of the strength piece to any of it. And so I remember taking my friend in PT school at the time, and she was a personal trainer who then went to PT school. So I was like, oh, you know how to, you know how to go to the gym. It wasn't that I was afraid of the gym, but I was just like, I am scared that I'm going to put the pin somewhere that it's not. And then the machine's going to collapse on my face. <laughs> I was like, something bad's going to happen. And then it's not going to work well. So I actually just had her walk me through. It was like, took like two or three times. She came with me to the gym. She worked out too. And I just said, show me how to use the machine. Like I know how to exercise, but just show me how to use the machine. And then she did. And ever since then, like I, like the days that I go to the gym, if I finish like the, the days that's like six o'clock and I'm home from the gym in the morning, I'm like, I can go back to sleep. I've just accomplished the best thing that I can do for myself and everyone around me. And I'm just like flying high in the sky with just confidence. It just feels so good. Then there are weeks that maybe I can't hit the gym, but I'm still training at home or doing my own, you know, body weight at home, still moving my body well, but the gym, man, it's just, I don't know if listeners who know this, it's just like electrifying. If you hate it, the walk, <laughs> when you wake up, when you get your water, when you take the keys, lock the door, like every fiber in my soul is saying, go back to sleep. You don't need to do this. There's no need. Your husband loves you very much. You're strong. There's like no need. You're like having like conversations in your brain. <laughs> about why you don't need to go to the gym today like it's fine and then once you leave you're like oh my god I feel amazing yes I I love it that you said you were a dancer you did yoga um but you ran also yeah but wait but wait yeah but you didn't know how to engage your transverse I mean we we get a lot of dancers who were injured Um, who were never taught how to fire their muscles properly. And my business partner, she was a dancer before she became a trainer. And we employ a lot of former dancers or people who still currently dance. And I'll give this one great example. We have a younger guy working for us. He's still dancing. But once he started weightlifting, I mean, his body changed. His muscles look amazing. And for he's still, you know, he has to lift people overhead. So and he had a little bit of a labral shoulder thing, um, but body people weigh what 125 pounds around that. So to lift that overhead. So guess what he's doing in the gym overhead pressing, you know, barbells and he's squatting something like 235, and he's going to be less injured than all the other dancers. Um, mm-hmm. So aside from fat loss to change your body and look good, there are so many other benefits to strength training. I mean, I get women with osteoporosis, osteopenia, and some of them don't want to go on medication. And and it it takes a fair amount of time for your, uh, your bone mass density to improve through weight training, but you also have to hit something like your, your 10 rep max. Nothing works with weights until that, that stress actually pulls on the osteum of the bone. I mean, you know, all the technical scientific ways to explain it, but somebody listening might not. So you know, I get women, oh yeah, I strength train. I do lightweight high reps. Like that's not helping your bone mass density. You need, you got to go heavy, but you have to work towards heavy lifting. Yes. You can't just walk into a gym and start heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I, when we get somebody new, if they have any experience, I could start them closer to the 10 rep range, but new people, they need to go something like 12 to 15 reps. And once they adapt, we push them closer to 12. Once that's 
comfortable. We'll go for 10 and then you can go low. You can go five to eight reps. Um, but that's, it, it takes a while. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm on board with that. And I just going back to the whole dancer thing. Oh, my, and for listeners, by the way, Sarah Dimmick was on the show. She talked about triathlons. It's on fit as a fiddle. It was just like a previous season. So I'll link that in the show notes. So you guys can listen to both the Sarah's, um, back to back. Um, but going back to the whole dancer thing, I mean, I work with a lot of dancers too, who have like, or even just people who still are like, you know, in some kind of sports or some kind of activity that is very physical. And they're like, I'm so strong. I use my body all the time. Like, how could I be so injured? And I'm like, that was me too. I totally, I understand the kind of ego hit that that takes when you're like, I'm supposed to be this person who's so body aware, who has so much control, motor control and this and that. And I can do all sorts of things with my body, but I can't fire up the right muscles when appropriate and apply that to my function. And that's the most important thing is people get injured not necessarily because they're doing one dance move and then they do something. It's like, because they just like tried to get out of the car one day, or it's like, I just bent down to pick up like a very light amateur. It just like suddenly happened out of nowhere. That's how it happened to me. I stress fractured my back by literally, I was sitting on the floor. I remember exactly how it was. And it was like an acute stress fracture. So it's, it's, it's obviously compounded over time. But I remember the moment when my body was just like, um, that's it. I, all I was doing is just, I had my hand overhead. I was sitting cross-legged on the floor about to get up from, I don't know, I was probably watching TV or doing something. And I, all I did was just extend my spine and do this like nice little like, ha ah, stretch. And then I was like going to get up and I got up and then I like, couldn't move for three weeks. And that was it. Like, it was just like a sudden hit to my, my vertebrae. And it's like, it's captured on x-ray. And I know I'm like a huge, don't follow the x-ray, don't follow the MRI. But I mean, I've rehabbed myself so well where I'm super, super functional, but every time I get an x-ray for any reason, like I had a tailbone fracture because I went cliff diving like three years ago and I was just looking for the, to see how badly the tailbone was fractured and if I could need it to do anything about it, which by the way, when you fracture your tailbone, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, the doctor comes out. She's like, no, you know, it's just like a minor thing. Like, don't worry about that. But do you know, you have a spondylolisthesis? I'm like, yeah, I know it's fine. Don't worry about it. I've got it under control. But the point of that story is you can be so aware of your body, how you move, but still have no idea what you're doing when it's important for you to understand. And I think it all boils down to how are you isolating and firing up your muscle groups? Well, so I'd love for you to maybe touch on that, Sarah. How do you talk to your patients about that or talk to your clients about that? Um, it's, it, as you know, it's hard to teach someone to recruit muscles properly. Mm-hmm. And it, some people can tap in right away. Some people cannot. I mean, I had one guy, took me two years to get him to do heel taps properly, to tap into his transverse abs. And I saw him twice a week for two years. And I almost gave up, but then it happened. <laughs> um, no, you, you just have to figure out what resonates with them, how to teach it. Um, I, you have to try various things to get someone to fire their glutes. If, if, if one thing doesn't work, I'll try something else. But once they're in there, once they can do it, you still have to constantly remind them like in a squat, you know, at the very bottom of your squat, okay, use your glutes. Don't, don't just use your quads. Um, so it's, it's teaching, it, it's figuring out how someone can feel it and tap in. 
and you have to try various things. Um, but back to what you, back to dancing. I mean, this could be a whole podcast is dancing, but uh, people in dance have to stay lean. And I don't like, I don't like to use the word skinny or thin. Um, I prefer lean and you have to have low body fat percentage for most dancing, you know, types or professions. Um, and this, this is another thing that kills me is that weight training really, really, really burns fat. And if those people cross trained more, or maybe they had an off season, like if, let's say they're in a dance company, if there's a break, maybe they could spend that downtime dancing or, or excuse me, uh, weight training. Um, I, I wish I had this study at the top of my mind, but not too long ago, a couple of guys took a, a company dancer and trained her, you know, squats, deadlifts and, and recorded it and tracked it and injury went down, her vertical went up, like all these great things happened. The article didn't mention how she looked or body composition. Like I wish that would have been mentioned because for how high eating disorders are in dance and the female sports, gymnastics. I mean, I ran track in college. Our whole cross country team was anorexic. The coach didn't know how to deal with it. Um, <laughs> but weight training to maintain your body mass, your lean body mass, and to stay quote unquote thin or skinny. Genetically, most people don't have the genes to get big and bulky. Um, even if you're training three times a week, it takes a really long time to put on size. I mean, it took, it took me, it took me about five years to get my legs to grow. And that was just hammering away, wash, rinse, repeat twice a week, two leg days to get them to match my upper body, the size, cause of, you know, like my, my back and my chest. So, and women don't have enough testosterone to put on the size. And even, even men aren't going to put on size unless, <laughs> unless they really work at it. Um, so back to, back to the reason why I brought this up is because weight training can help you stay thin. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, and not thin in like a negative thin, but no. like to feel like you just feel confident, like you have the strength and you're agile and you can move through space and you, you know, especially if we're going back to the whole dancer thing, I remember like having this conversation. So my mother and her sister are both dancers and dance teachers um, professionally. And so I remember talking to my aunt and I was explaining to her, um, this was after I became a physical therapist. And um, I was explaining to her how important it is to have her students also do other kinds of exercise, not just the dance because as dance teachers, and this, I'm, I'm guilty of this before when I was a dance teacher as well, I would say, just dance more and you'll get fitter. Just dance more, practice more. And that's not always true because you're, it's a repetitive strain. Like that same routine, you doing it over and over again, especially if it's asymmetrical, that's a repetitive strain on your body. If you're not consciously thinking about how am I moving, which you don't necessarily always have the capacity to do as a dancer and dance routines. I just fling my body around stage. That's literally what I do as an Indian classical dancer. I don't know if anybody's ever seen it, but it's literally just flinging your body across the stage in different capacities. And so you're not always thinking about like, oh, I'm engaging my transverse abdominis and my gluteus maximus and this jump. No, you just jump as high as you can. And so I remember talking to her, I was like, you know, ever since I started lifting and going to the gym and doing other kinds of cross training, I am dancing so much stronger. Like I jump faster, like it doesn't hurt as much, like everything feels like 
feels more, it just feels more supported. Like my body is actually equipped to do what it's doing. Like I'm nowhere near bionic, but it feels more bionic when I'm lifting and when I feel strong and she's like, okay, like whatever, whatever. And so I actually went out to write workshops, like educational workshops on preventing dance injuries and how important it is for them to do their, you know, it's Indian classical dance. So yoga is a big part of what we do. It's very stretchy and all of that. But I was like, you also need to understand that first position plie is what we call aramandi, which is when you sit down, turn your feet out 180 degrees. So both your toes are pointing 180 degrees. Your knees need to line up with that. If it doesn't, you're in a valgus collapse, which for listeners, that's when your knee caves inward towards midline and you're putting strain onto your knees, your ankles, and your hips and your core can't fire as easily. And so you're in that position for like maybe anywhere between 30 to 75% of dance, depending on what dance you're doing. And so all these girls are arching their backs because they don't have external rotation at their hips. So they're arching their backs to get their knees to turn out because the dance teachers will really be like, turn your knees out, turn your knees out, sit up straight, arch your back. And so they're arched their back. They're in this like chicken wing position. Their core is flared. There's no tucking or even neutral, like remote neutral. And they're all in pain. But it doesn't even just manifest as like hip pain, knee pain, whatever. It's like, it could even just be like something as something you wouldn't think like as a PT, I understand how it's connected, but I wouldn't think as a dancer, why is my big toe hurting while I'm dancing? This isn't like, you wouldn't think for a second, it has anything to do with your core strength or your ability to fire up your muscles to tuck and put weight evenly on all parts of your foot. But it's just all stuff that we think about. And I know this is like whole conversation. I don't think we can call this strength training the holy grail of fat loss anymore. I don't Sorry. Think so no, I understand. But but what you said a second <laughs> what you said a second ago I'm about joking. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, um, but what you said a second ago about do more, just do more. Same thing okay. with runners and triathletes. They're the mm-hmm. hardest people to convince to strength train. Oh no, I, I don't need to train my legs. I just ran. I'm like, but your ass is sorry, excuse me, your butt is flat and your hamstrings are gigantic, you're not engaging your glutes when you run mm-hmm. and you're going to get, I don't know, tendinopathy or something's going to happen to you. But if you go to a marathon or a triathlon, look around, is anyone super, super lean? Maybe the pros or the, or the, a few, a small percentage of people, but go to the New York marathon. Most of those people are not lean and they're shuffling along and I guarantee it. They don't strength train. If they did, maybe their body composition would look differently. Maybe they wouldn't have that knee brace on maybe, you know, um, so yes, this is my mission in life is to educate people on why you should strength train. I love it. I'm a hundred thousand percent on board with that. If listeners gained anything from today, if it encouraged you, if you do go to the gym and you're just like an off season right now, if it encouraged you to go awesome. If you have no clue and you've never gone to the gym and you've never had a trainer and you really don't know the first step, and this is all just like overwhelming and sounds fancy and great strength training. Awesome. But like, what do I even do about that? I would actually maybe, and Sarah, you jump in to see if this is the right step. Would you think it's a good idea for them to at least just talk to maybe friends and family who do go to the gym or who do have trainers to like people that they trust to just hear their inputs so that they can make a decision for themselves? I think so, but you still have to be careful where you're getting your information. I mean, mm-hmm. some people will re- read a men's health article and then go to the gym and try to rep- replicate it. 
Um, even, even trainers wouldn't really know how to tell somewhere, some where to tell someone where to start unless they were a pretty good experienced, skilled trainer. I mean, at our company, we really promote, can you fire your glutes, your core? What's your, what's the status of your shoulder girdle? Is your, are your rotator cuff? Is it strong? So we kind of build people from the inside out, getting all the little muscles firing and then move on to the bigger stuff. Um, even if you don't have any injuries, you still need to prep your body to train. So if you're going to do a, like a, some bench press, you have to warm up your rotator cuff. You can't just go, you can, you can just start warming up with a lighter bench press, but, um, but it's best to get the smaller stuff fired up, get the, you got to prime your body to strength train. So, um, yeah, I mean, they should talk to people they know who go to the gym, but then that's, that could still be a loose cannon or, um, (laughs) I, I don't know. I'd find some good, maybe some good articles also, um, written by people with credentials like PTs, you know, people who have that CS, CS behind their name, um, journal articles. Uh, I'd be really careful of things in, in like shape, you know, there's, it, it, it depends. It depends. Yeah, totally. Um, and then, yeah, just, I think the bottom line here is educate yourself. Don't go off of like something that was said on social media or, um, you know, just something that you heard somewhere. I think you should really like talk to people who know what they're doing, have been working in the field for a while or who know their bodies well and who are very well aware of the benefits of exercise and strength training and just listen with an open mind and see, take what you can for yourself. And by the way, strength training does not mean you have to lift 20 pound bicep curls tomorrow. Like that's literally not what we're saying. It just means load the body in appropriate ways that are right for you. And that's why having a trainer with, if, without, if you're without injury and without other kind of complications, starting off with a trainer and at least just understanding, even if it's not for the long term, but getting a short term understanding for a couple of days or a couple of weeks or just a couple of months to get started on your journey can be so, so helpful. And I highly recommend our friends here at Physical Equilibrium. Their, their location is uh, like unbeatable, like Midtown Manhattan, so easy to get to, actually not far from my office either. I'm on Madison and 40th and you guys are on, where are you? Park uh, 53rd and 50, in Madison. 53rd in Madison. That's right. So pretty close. Um, great location, easy to get to, even if you're coming in from LIC or Queens or coming in from somewhere else. Um, you know, I think you guys offer virtual kind of uh, consultations and offerings as well with the pandemic from what I understand. Um, but well, I'll drop the information and the show and the show links for your guys' website to get in touch Sarah, do you have any other last words for our listeners? Anything else you'd like to add on your work? I think be cautious of HIIT workouts unless you have some foundation or base. Uh, I tell my clients they can do the high intensity interval training workouts if they're ready for it, if they're, you know, pretty strong and balanced, but a lot of people get hurt going straight to HIIT. It, It feels good to have that high intensity in the cardio high, but just beware. It's not traditional strength training, like the kind um, we're talking about. For sure. Awesome. Sarah, thank you so much for your time and this lovely conversation. I'll still name this show what we decided to. (laughs) I was just joking. (laughs) Okay. I know, but we didn't really get it. We didn't really get into like 
why, why heavy lifting can make a woman's body get smaller and leaner, but that could be a whole nother, that could be a whole nother. Well, we can talk about it now. Why don't we just talk about it? Tell me, tell me how you feel like why, what's the whole why behind all of it? So you, you want to break those myofibrils down. You want to, you want those muscle fibers to get broken down. So they repair and grow. And so your metabolism goes up and when I say change a body, I mean, change how it actually looks. If someone genetically has a a big butt that can be a lot smaller with heavy squats and deadlifts over and over and over. You just constantly break down those glute fibers and over time, you're going to, you're going to tighten up. Remember, remember that movie, uh, (laughs) knocked up, tighten up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and we're, we're lucky to have work with a few uh, agents and people who work with Broadway and, and actresses and actors, and they literally will send them to us and say, all right, this body needs to be changed. Let's go. Um, and it takes one and a half to three years for a body to really change. And nobody wants to hear that. They want to hear a six week program. Nope. This, but once you do it, it's more permanent. Yes. I, that much I agree with. I definitely yeah. agree with that. I mean, it's, a, it's always a constant battle to stay lean. Cause then there's diet and cardio, but, but the lifting, you know, heavy weights can, can burn fat and change the body. Yeah. And also on that physiological and motivational side of things too, like once you get to a space where you have changed your body, you also have more motivation to keep it that way. Right. And yes. unless there's like life changing events or something like I've had a patient who was like extremely fit, but had just gone through a very traumatic injury and was bed bound for a very long time. And like things completely changed. And she was like, I can't believe I have to start back up. Like everything went back to like her genetic, not everything, but like majority. And so unless you're in a situation like that, once you hit your kind of goals with the way you look, I don't want to say what you look, what you are read on the scale, because I think I'm sure you agree that's neither here nor there to some extent, but the way that you look, the way that you feel, the way that you operate, it's like, you're, you should see motivated and you want to keep that going. And it hears when women say, oh, well, I started weightlifting and I got bigger. You know why? If there's any fat on your body and you start to develop that muscle, that muscle pushes up against the fat. So there is a phase, I call it the puff up phase where it's an illusion of like getting bigger because there's fat there and the, the muscles being stimulated and, and it's pushing up against it. So and also a lot of women tend to do lightweight, high reps. You're, that's called sarcoplasmic training. You're not getting to the deeper core of the muscle that needs to be broken down. Um, kind of like when bodybuilders need to, you know, pump up, like it's a lot of lightweight, high rep to like get the blood in there for that muscle to look better. But that's what I also have to explain to women. Like you're going to go through a phase. And so yeah, that's the non-scientific way of saying it, the puff up phase. <laughs> oh, I mean, it makes sense. That's all a lot of physiological stuff that goes behind this. And I think yeah. that the bottom line here is that it's possible to reach these goals and you just have to be willing to put that time into it. Yes. Put in the work, put in the work. Yeah. So that, that's, the, the, that's the only, I guess, two, three things I want to leave with. Awesome, Sarah. Well, thank you so much for your time. 
I love our conversation today. I hope listeners enjoyed as well. Um, again, I'll drop the show notes in the show notes, the website for everyone to reach out. Um, if they'd like to train, ask some questions, get some consultations going, take some virtual classes at the least. Um, but thank you, Sarah. And I'm happy that both Sarah's, both founders have now been on the show between I think season two or three and now season six. So that's exciting. And we'll have you, maybe one day we'll do both of you together at the same time, yeah, like a fun. round table discussion as well. For sure. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for tuning in week after week. Thank you for investing in yourself and your well-being. This podcast is free. We don't sell ads. So if you listen to the show today and gained anything out of it, please share it with your friends, family, and colleagues. And it means the world when you rate and review the show. You can even screenshot this episode and upload it to your social media stories and tag at Sneha Physical Therapy. Subscribe to get updates on new episodes so you don't miss a show. See you again next week with an exciting new guest and topic.